So Beis Hashem, we're going to learn this Sicha in Parshas Vaschanan. And it's also a Siyam on Masech the Sukkah. It's, it's the conclusion of the tractate of, of Masech the Sukkah. So we're going to, before we, before we get into the Sicha itself, just by way of introduction to explain a few things, two basic understandings, two basic klolem, and two basic principles, and based on these principles, we'll get further into the sicha. So the first thing is that in Sefi Yitzira, the book of Sefi Yitzira, which is one of the most ancient books of, of Jewish of Kabbalah or philosophy, a very old book, which mentions, which the Gemara and Sanhedrin also mentions, mentions this book. The Sefi Yitzira speaks about it's the Sefer, a book of the formation or the creation of the world, how creation came into being. And it talks over there that everything in this world has oilam, shana, nefesh. Oilam represents, oilam is the world of space, shana is the world of time, and nefesh is the world of consciousness. That everything is created, and everything that is created has these three realms, has world, space, time, and consciousness. And this is the foundation of the entire book of Sefi Yitzira, like the Tzemach Tzedek writes in the Eratera, which brought down in the Sikh and the Aras, this idea that this is the foundation of the entire Sefi Yitzira, this principle that these are the three things that the world has created from. That um, in another way that this, the Sefi Yitzira speaks about this is that the world has, everything in this world has a cipher, which is a scribe, a sefer, which is a book, and a sipper, which is a story. The sefer, and there's actually different versions in the Sefer Yitzir. Some is besefer, 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 with a scribe and two books. But the more traditional version of Sefer Yitzir is that everything in this world has a scribe, which is the nefesh, the consciousness of the person, the person that is bringing to the world a certain understanding and inscribing the world. There is the book itself, which is the world, space, and then there's the sipper, the unfolding of the creation, which unfolds within time. So there is the author, the book, and the story. This is the um, this is a general idea that everything was created. Everything in creation has these three things. On a deeper level, these are not just three separate things. That there is time, space, and consciousness. Oilam shana nefesh but actually they're one and the same. And if one, if something occurs within the world of soul and consciousness, then it appears also in the world of time. If something appears in the world of time, it also appears within the world of, within the world of space. And this is actually an important understanding. This is explained in, in Hasidus in many places. And uh, also, it's also explained in the Pritzadik, in Parshavayak um, and others, another svarim, that anything that you find in the world, this is what the sicha is going to be talking about. That everything you find in the world of time, you find also in the world of space. Everything you find in the world of time and space, you find also in the world of consciousness, and also in the reverse. And this is actually very simple to understand because time and space, the way we understand time and space, it used to be perceived that time and space were perceived as two separate things, and as we have a deeper understanding even on the level of, of, of science, the time and space are, are part of one continuum, the, the, the depth of this revelation that occurs within the world of science, within the natural world, is because there was a revealing of this idea in the spiritual realm, that there, it was seen in the Torah, there was a revealing in the Torah within the spiritual blueprint of creation of the, of the unity between time and space. And then this became trickled down into the understanding of also science of the unity between time and space. So this, therefore what this means is that, for example, let's say you'll say that the idea of, of, of um, in, in time, there is, let's say, Shabbos. Shabbos is in time. And then we'll say that Shabbos is like a dimension within time. And then there'll be the dimension of Shabbos within a person's consciousness, the stillness of a person's consciousness represents the level of Shabbos, or the place 
in space, Shabbos would be in the base of Mikdash, in, in the temple, that would be the representation of Shabbos within the space. Or the opposite, let's say we'll say that there's an idea, a mitzvah of mikvah, which is in space, an actual physical thing, and then there will be a mikvah within time, which will be like Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur would be mikvah Yisrael Hashem. Yom Kippur, be, Yom Kippur, the day of Yom Kippur, would be a time that we enter into a, conce- a, a conceptual, a virtual mikvah within time, which means that every mitzvah has within it all these dimensions. If you find a mitzvah that you find in a particular time or space, so if it, you find it in time, then it has to be in space, in consciousness. If you find it in consciousness, it has to be in space and in time. If you find it in, 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 ta- in, 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 in space, then you'll just have to find it in time within consciousness. Every mitzvah has to be reflected in all those, those ideas. And this is something that's going to be explained. In this, Sikha Deirab is going to be speaking about how a certain concept that's reflected in a spatial idea can also be seen and shows up within time and within consciousness. That's one point to understand, and that's, that's a premise from the whole premise of, of approaching this entire discourse is to understand this basic fundamental premise which is the unity between time, space, and consciousness. And everything that's seen in one is reflected in all three. That's one point. The second point is before we get into the, into the details is that there is a general question that's, that's been asked and been discussed is what is the relationship between a person and the stuff, the objects that he has in his life? not only with regards to um, karka, like earth, things, properties that he owns, or the home that he owns, but even with regards to like the gadgets or the, or the metalpum, things that are movable objects in his life. What is the relationship? Is there a relationship? Are they just arbitrary? Let's say a person owns a particular, you know, watch. Is, this a, is there a relationship between a person, a person's soul and his consciousness with the object that he has in his life? Or is this, is this arbitrary, that it, it lands in your life for a certain period of time, and then it can disappear? And that has no, no inherent relationship to who you are. For example, the Maral speaks about this idea and says that there is no relationship. It's sort of arbitrary. That's a yish, lemidas, have a yish. And therefore, when a person just surrenders their sense of ownership of an object, it completely disappears from their ownership. But according to the Torah Sachsidis, according to the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, which is brought down already in Kesar Shem Tov, in Sivan Sarivosh, in Magad Yaakov, and also even the Maranayim, and many, many of those forms that bring, bring down the teachings of the Baal Shem, that the, the, the original teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, there's already an understanding that there's a Kesher, there's an internal connection between a person and his objects, the objects that he owns. That's why the Gemara says, Chazal saying, Baruch Hamad, the Gemara says, our sages tell us that someone that steals from somebody else, if you steal from someone, it's as if you steal their soul. Which means that according to the deeper understanding of this, it's not just a symbolic statement and a metaphorical statement, but it actually means literally because a person extends himself into the objects that they have. Extends himself also into, into to the space that they're in. There's a concept of a few daladamas kindness that if a person is a person is in the side of Rishusarab in a public space and is an object in that space, an ownerless object in that space, and the person has intention that it should become his, it becomes his or hers, just by the mere fact that it's within their four cubits. What's the what's the understanding? There's a, the deeper understanding, which is explained also in Kundasyan and what is the deeper understanding? The deeper understanding is because a person's soul, his consciousness, or his, his makifim, his surrounding lights, extends himself around his, his, around his, around his, his space. So therefore, the immediate space, which is the length of a person's line, which is four amas, which is about five and a half feet, that is considered like his own space. And therefore, this also comes, it's applicable to the laws of carrying on Shabbos that on Shabbos, we're not allowed to carry from one domain to the next domain. You're not allowed to carry from a private domain to a public domain. 
But what happens if you're in a in your, if you're in a public domain itself and you pick up an object? If you walk more than four cubits, about six feet, five and a half, six feet, then you're liable for carrying. Because what you're really doing when you walk four feet, when you pick up an object and walk four feet, four amos, what you're doing is you're moving out of your private domain, which is the space, the surrounding space around you, which is considered part of you, an extension of you. And therefore, when you move from that space, that object outside those four cubits, private domain, into a, a public domain. So this is the idea of spatially, the, the objects that are exist within our space, and certainly the objects that we actually have in our own hand or in our own home, in our own chatzah, in our, in our own private space, that the principle is, if there's an argument, for example, whose money, who owns, if there's two people arguing about if you owe money or you don't owe money, and one person has the object in his, pl- in his, ha- in his house or he owns an object and he has it in his place, so we, we, the principle is we establish money, is based where the person that's holding on to it. Whoever's holding on to it, that shows that there's a relationship between the object and the person. And this could be even, like Rashi explains, it could be even a case where he's toifus someone grabs an object out of another person's hand and he believes that the object belongs to him. If the object's in his hand, then we say the object belongs to him. And uh, just a side note, Rashi, Tyson says it's not it's not that he's Teufus, he grabs it where there's a doubt, because then you would say that he goes back to the original owner, the person that was holding it in the beginning, like the Gemara has a famous case of Takfur Koyan of Metziah, the Vav of where someone, there's a suffix, there's a doubt who this animal belongs to, if it belongs to the, to the Koyan or it's not, to not to the Koyan, and he grabs it, then we take it out of his hand. But generally, Whenever we see an object, that a person's holding an object, this is proof that he is the person that's, that owns this object. This is not only, and this is, refers to objects. So what the, the, principally what this means is that there's an extension of a person's consciousness and a person's nefesh, a person's soul, and there's a relationship because there's certain sparks that are related to him and there's a reason why this person has these objects in his life because they have to elevate it, et cetera, et cetera. But there's, a, there's, an, there's an extension of the person's soul, as if, to the objects that he has, which is brought down also in, in the sikhs, the early sikhs, about from the Yerushalmi that brings down this story of about a Ramer, about the stick of Ramer, that people that would hold on to the stick of Ramer, this great sage, this great illuminary sage, when they would hold on to the stick, it would, they would receive wisdom. This not only refers to objects, but there's also a relationship between a person's, between a, who we are, and not only the stuff that we own, the objects that we own, but also the, the fields or the properties that we own. There's a deeper relationship. There's an extension of our soul into those parts as well. And the truth is this is already a Gemara, that the Gemara says, the Gemara beginning of Saita says, where it says, Basco, Yaitza, that there's a heavenly voice 40 days before before the formation of a child at the moment of conception that says this person is destined to marry this person. The Gemara also says, that this field will belong to this other person. So there's a, a, a deeper connection between a person's life and their inner life and, the extent, and their, their extended environment around them, whether it's the objects that they have or the fields that they own. And, with it, and the people that they have in their life. And the, the relationship is symbiotic, and it works in both directions. This is, so this is another basic principle. So we have these two basic principles, that one is that everything that exists within time or space or consciousness exists in the other three as well, the other two as well, and that there's an extension. The second point is that there's a soul connection. There's a deeper connection between a person and the objects and fields and the plots that they own. There is a deeper connection between a person's life, physical life, their body, and their extension, their extended of the life, the things that they have in their life. So now to the actual sicha. So on the Pasek, which is in Parshas Veschan, on the verse it says like this, it says that you should do what is appropriate and good in the eyes of Hashem. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says 
And this is the, this we learned the laws of bar matzah. Bar matzah means bar matzah means the laws of neighbors, which is like this. Let's say there's a person that is sells his field. Let's say person A sells his has a field next to person B, and he sells his field. Person A sells his field to person C, who lives in another area. And person C buys the property. But really, person B wants the property. And these are complicated laws exactly if he wants to pay the same price, if he wants to do the same thing as the other, as person C. But let's say person B would also like to have that property. So the law is that to do the righteous thing and the right thing, and incidentally, the Rambam um, just says, Vasisa hayasha to do the good and the right and just thing. It doesn't mention the idea in front of Hashem. Just the just thing, like Ben perhaps that's what the Rambam was saying. The idea between man and man, the correct thing to do is that since person C buys this field, but he can buy any other field, there's nothing particular about the field that he buys in person A, just, you know, he saw a deal and he bought the field. And now person B says, you know, if I can have your field, then I would have both my fields together. And that would be very easy for me to irrigate the fields and to work the fields. And it would be, it would be, much more pleasant for me to own two fields that are right next to and adjoining each other. So the law is, Torah laws, rabbinical laws, that you tell person C that he must sell back, sell his property back to person B, and so that his properties, his two fields, can be next to each other. So this is the this is where the Gemara, this is where the Talmud, the Chazal explained the story that already he bought it already. The lekech means person C already bought it, and uh, and we tell him that person C, you should be do the just and right thing, and therefore you should resell it to person B so his fields could be all next to each other. That's the simple understanding of the law of bar mitzvah. Again, these are complicated laws. Exactly which situation does it apply? Which situation does it not apply? But let's let's assume everything is even, everything is the same. Person C could buy a field in this area, could buy a field in that area. There's no reason why he wants to buy a field in C. He just saw it, so he bought it. And it's doing something that's detrimental to person B because he also wants to buy a field and he wants to, he'd rather buy a field that's next to his own field. Therefore, you tell the buyer that he now has to go sell back the property to the neighbor of person A. And... Here the Rebbe says that we can actually understand this in two ways, that this could be explained in two ways. We could say that it's only the responsibility of person C, the buyer. In other words, person C really acquired the field from person A and it's a good acquisition. It's an absolute good acquisition. However, because of the laws, the principle of you should do things that are correct and just, yashavatayv and good, you tell person C who bought the buyer, do the right thing and sell it now to person B. That's one way to understand this law. Another way to understand this, this, this principle is that because it says, since it says you should do the just thing, that means that the neighbor, person B that has this field in, in, in that's adjoining to the field of person A, we can say that on a very subtle level, person B has some type of ownership of the field of person A, even though he doesn't own it, person A owns it. And when person A sells it to person C, the acquisition is not absolute because since he's the neighbor and because of the law, the principle that says that you should really sell to, the, you sell to your neighbor and the neighbor gets priority, so therefore, the sale itself, there's something inherent within the sale that's even not correct. And there it brings down from the Namukha Yosef, this is actually what the Namukha Yosef writes, one of the early commentators on the Rif, and he says like this, It appears, it could, it could seem as if person B, the neighbor, the person A's field, has a certain ownership in that field, and therefore, even though it was sold to person C, the sale is not absolute. So what would be the difference? What would be the difference between these two ways of understanding it? If you say that it's only, um, 
that person C that bought the field, that he should do the right and just thing, he should sell it to person B, then that's the responsibility and almost lies with person C, that we say that you should do the correct thing. But if you say that it's, there was an issue with the sale itself because of this principle that says, you should do the right thing. The sale of the field from person A to person C was an incorrect sale or not a 100% valid sale, then you would say that it's not just, not only that it's a responsibility on the lekeach, sort of the, 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 the buyer of it, but it's a responsibility on the whole transaction to do the correct thing. And the Rebbe says this is actually the difference, appears to be the difference between the opinion of Rashi and the opinion of the Rambam. Because the Rashi writes on that Gemara, what does Rashi write? Rashi writes, Rashi says that what is the principle, what is the concept of our Metzah, what is the idea of these neighborly laws? Because since it's not such a difficulty, you're telling, you tell person to see the buyer, since it's not such a problem for you to find another field, you can find another field in another place, there's a lot of fields to buy, assuming that there are a lot of fields to buy, you can buy another field, all you're doing is inconvenient making an inconvenience for person B, the neighbor, that now if he wants to buy another field, and he does want another buy another field, he's gonna have to buy two fields that are not connected to each other. So you tell him, do the right and just thing. That's the opinion of Rashi. The Rambam, however, writes like this. The neighbor that, that is person B, which is the neighbor to the field, can give money to the buyer and tell the buyer to, to leave. Because because it's, it, it's, it's the correct thing to do that this person will be able to buy his fields, that their fields can be joining with each other. In other words, good and just is a responsibility on, on the the buyer, that he should do that, and he should he should go ahead and sell it back to piece of person B, or it means on the whole transaction. And the Rebbe's Medayik draws very close reading of the Rambam, where it says Amar Chacham and that our sages say, which means that the sages are seeing this whole transaction and saying it's not a it's not a good transaction. Sage, the, the, the Chacham can do that, the sage can do it, could have Kabezan, but with, with regards to money issues, the sages say the whole idea of the Kenyan is not, is not a good acquisition. That would be the bit, difference between Rashi and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the Rambam. Now, Rabbi continues that we, we already spoke many times that there's many laws of the Torah that since they seem, many laws of the Torah seem divergent laws, different different concepts, but since the Torah and its principles, the Torah has one, one principle, so we can, cert, we can see a certain Yisoyed, a certain principle, and this Yisoyed could be followed through in many different places. And so this is, this is the way of many of the Galilee. So many of the great sages of Israel used to learn this way, and particularly the Rakachar, who was one of the Rebbes that the Rebbe always would quote, one of his own teachers. And what's the, what's the argument? What's the argument between Rashi and the Rambam? What's the, what's the depth of the argument? The depth of the argument is, does being a neighbor, being in close proximity to something, mean that, does it mean that it creates a certain relationship, internal relation, deeper relationship between the neighbor and his neighboring field, or is it just external? In other words, like this. If we say that, um, that the reason why person C has to sell the field back to person B is because he should do the just and right thing, that means person B really has no relationship, even though he's, neighbor, he's neighboring, the field of person A. Now the person C buys person's, person's A field, now, Person C owns the field. And our sages say that the just and right thing to do is to sell it to person B if he wants it. Not because person B has any, 
deeper relationship to the field, it's just because that's the, the just thing to do so he could have his two fields adjoining. However, according to the Rambam, according to the understanding that there's a problem, there's an issue with the sale itself, which means we're saying that when person A sells to person C, there's, there's something inherently wrong with the sale itself because, like in the language of the Mokiyah, said, because person B really has a part of that field, so therefore he cannot sell, person A cannot sell it correctly because person B owns some type of ownership of, person of, the, of, the, of, of the field, therefore the sale was not correct. But to say that, we must say that even though you're living in one place, this is your field, and you're living on this field, and you have a neighbor that's, that's next to you, somehow just being a neighbor to next, next to somebody, that means that you have some type of inherent connection, not only with the person, but even with the field of the other person. So this means there's something deeper, that it's not just arbitrary. The fact that you're in this place, the fact that you're in your place where you are, okay, that's certainly not arbitrary. But even the fact that you're next to somebody, which is also part of an extension of your place, that also means that there's a deeper connection between you and your neighbor. And this idea can be expressed in these three principles. In space, which is, we just ex- explained this idea. Space represents the idea of the fields. But it also can also be expressed in the world of time. Where do we see in Allah and the Jewish law, where do we see this, practice, this idea of an extension of this interconnection or just arbitrary connection in, in time. So the, the, the idea is connected with So there's an idea, Yom Kippur is a day, it's the 10th day of the month. And a day, and the day generally starts, the way we count time, is the it begins in the evening and then it goes until the next night. So if you count when is the 10th day of Yom Kippur, the 10th day of Yom Kippur is the ninth by night. When the nightfall comes on the ninth by night, that is when Yom Kippur starts. However, the Torah, when the Torah describes the fasting of the 10th of Tishrei, the 10th of the month, which is Yom Kippur, the Torah says, It says that, uh, that uh, you should, on the, on the night of the ninth. The problem is, the ninth of the night of the, of the ninth is actually the tenth. So why does the Torah call the ninth of the night, the, the ninth night, the ninth? It should have called it really the tenth. So our sages say, the Gemara says, the Gemara says this we learn, the Gemara says, that this, from this we learn that this idea of toisus yom, toisus yom Kippur, that extra, that even though Yom Kippur really starts by night, that's what the Torah says, you know, on, the, on the tenth day you should fast, but since... The Torah also says it calls the fast the ninth by night. So therefore we should start fasting actually on the ninth day. So a period of time before, before nightfall, on the ninth by night, there's an added element that we should start fasting and start celebrating Yom Kippur even before Yom Kippur begins. This is a biblical, this is the Torah law. Um, everyone agrees with that because that's that's from the, that's from a pasuk. Everyone agrees with that. All opinions agree that Toisus Yom Kippur, the adding of Yom Kippur, is minatayr. It's from the Torah law. Then there's the idea of Toisus Shabbos, adding on Shabbos with adding a Yom Tif, and that then itself is a big argument between the Rishonim if it's minatayr or Rabbanu, if it's from the sages or or it's minatayr. But the truth is. This could be understood in these two in the same way as well. So we're saying that there's Friday afternoon, Friday early, closer to Shabbos. Shabbos is also a 24-hour time period, 25-hour time period. Shabbos is this time. Now, Toysa Shabbos means that we do things before Shabbos and we start accepting Shabbos before. This is done universally. This is the way everything is done. The question is, why is this done? So we can say like this. The Shaykh is macht that Toysa Shabbos means Friday late afternoon when a person adds to Shabbos then it means that just like we said before in space that the field that's next to you has an ex- is an extension of you and it's connected to you the same thing also with time if there's a time that's connected to another time if Friday afternoon is connected to Shabbos leads into Shabbos 
that means that Friday afternoon already has, by, by, by being in close proximity to Shabbos, it already has part of the Kedusha, part of the sanctity, part of the holiness already of Shabbos. Or you can say that no, there's man Shabbos. The time really doesn't really transform. Friday is still Friday, Shabbos is still Shabbos. Just what? The idea is that before Shabbos, there's a mitzvah, Midarban or Midaraisa from the sages or from the Torah, there's a mitzvah on the person, on the Gavra, on the person to accept Shabbos as an achana for Shabbos, as preparing for Shabbos. What would be the difference? What would be the difference between these two opinions? Whether whether, for example, you're allowed to make Kiddush Friday late afternoon when you accepted Shabbos upon yourself on Friday afternoon because of Taisa Shabbos, because added to Shabbos. Could you make Kiddush at that time as well? Or is it just forbidden to do any work on that time? And this is a big argument amongst many of the Paschim. What would be the argument? What what's the depth of the argument? The depth of the argument is like this. If you say that the adding of Shabbat, of Friday, adding to Shabbos, is just an external relationship between Friday and Shabbos, which means in order to, to enter into Shabbos, we add a little extra time, then we say that there's no really inherent relationship between Friday and Shabbos. Friday is still Friday, Shabbos is Shabbos. Just when you accept upon yourself, the person accept upon himself, that at Shabbos, he should not do any work that he would normally do that he's not allowed to do on Shabbos. Or you can say that the fact that Friday is close to Shabbos and enters and from Friday and moves into Shabbos, this indicates that the Kedusha of Shabbos, the holiness of Shabbos, expands into Friday as well. In the language of one of the Madrashim that's brought down, there's like a zev that's toyer from It's like a, a, like a wolf that grabs from both sides. Sort of like the, 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 the Kedusha, the, the sanctity of Shabbos leak, leaks into Friday. If you say that the Kedusha of Shabbos, the, the sanctity of Shabbos leaks into Friday, if a person accepts upon himself to, to recognize that level of Shabbos in Friday, then you can actually make Kedusha on, on that time. Because we're saying that Friday late afternoon, when a person accepts upon himself the place of Shabbos, that it's, ex- it's part of Shabbos, not only is there just an external transformation of it, so therefore you shouldn't do any work, but it actually becomes part of Shabbos itself. And therefore you can actually do, you can, you can make Kiddush. This, is, this same argument is the exact same argument we had before, whether two things that are in close proximity with each other, does it mean that it has a deeper relationship with each other or just a superficial relationship with each other? Just like it works in the time of space, it also works in the world of time. The fact that these two times are together, does that mean that it become, that one leaks into the next? Just like person B extends himself into the field of person number A, does the Kedusha of Shabbos, the sanctity of Shabbos and time, extend itself into the, 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 the mundanity of Friday, and therefore it transforms Friday itself, and therefore you can make Kiddush. Now, the Rebbe says it, it doesn't make Friday Shabbos. It, it, does, it, it, can make a, it can make Friday Shabbos, but it doesn't make Friday night. If it's still Friday afternoon, late afternoon, it doesn't make it night. Therefore, with regards to Pesach, everyone's going to agree that even if you say that the sanctity of Pesach, if you accept upon yourself Toysus, before Pesach, it's transformed that it becomes the holiness of Pesach even before Pesach. Let's say Pesach starts on Monday evening, so Monday afternoon you accept upon yourself Pesach. Yes, the holiness of Pesach can have, and technically you can make Kiddush on Pesach because of, of the Kiddusha, but you can't do the mitzvahs of the night because it's still not night, it's still day, the sun is still shining. So this, the same question that you find within space is the same idea where you can find also within time. Where two things are connected to each other, what is the relationship with them? Is it just superficial that one leads into the next? Some type of level of superficiality, this one leads to the next, one is just connected to the next? Or is it some type of inherent and inner transformation that the thing actually becomes part of the next thing? So Friday afternoon actually becomes part of Shabbos and therefore you can make Kiddush. In Nefesh, with regards to Nefesh, The, this also can work, and the work of level of consciousness works the same way. This is this is this is connected to the seum, the end of Masechta's sukkah.
So the end of Masech, the Sukkah, attracted of Sukkah, the Gemara tells us about a particular incident, a woman, Miriam Basbilga, there was, there was different mishmaris, there were different, um, there were different watches, groups, 24 mishmaris that used to serve in the base of Mignesh with the Kainim, the priest, the Kainim, and they, the way there was many different Kainim, so it was divided, it was divided into different groups, and everyone had, they had a rotation. So let's say one week, a certain group of, of Kainim went, and the head of the group, what, what, every, every group had a name. This was the house of, it was called the house of this. So there was, a, there was once a woman from the house of Bilga that um, she did, she, whatever, she did a very, a very a terrible thing that the Gemara says, with the time of destruction, and she, she whatever, she hit, she hit the Mizbeach, etc. And the, the Gemara says, that because of her, there's generally the principle is an achnasim cholkim itzafin. That uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of argument exactly what this means according to Rashi and the Rambam. But let's just say the way the simple pshat, the simple literal interpretation of this is that there is the there's the north side and the south side. So. The uh, in 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 and in the north is when the the new mishmar the new the new group would come in, and the old group would leave. So when they would leave, they would the nechnasim, um the people that would come in for the new group, they would come in from the from the north side, and that's where they would receive the the the, the kachim the, the different parts that they were allowed to eat. From the Mizbeach. But Bilga, this the house of Bilga was punished because of the act that she did. It seems like some type of a strong punishment. And Bilga Loilum Chalakas Bedarim. She would always, that actually, the, the group of Kayanim that would serve would of, of that of that house, of that watch, would always receive their portion in the south side. That was one thing. And then the Gemara says another thing happened is that they, they, closed, they closed the hooks and they closed the windows. We'll see what that means in a second, what, what exactly that means. And the Gemara over there says that this was a punishment for the act that they did. And the Gemara says there are two reasons for this. One is the reason is because my, the story that happened with Miriam Basbilga because it's the story that happened with one of the one of the one of the women of this group, and the Gemara says another thing is another reason because mishmarta shoy lavoi. Because the the this the, they were they were lax in coming in time, they were lax in their performance in, of their of their of their task in the base of English, so therefore they were they were punished. Then the Gemara says it's like this. If you say that the reason is why they punished the entire, if you say that the reason why they were punished is because they were, they were lax in performing their their duties, then it makes sense why the entire group, the entire mishmar, this entire watch was punished. But if you say the reason is because Miriam Bas Bilga, if you say that it was only because Miriam Bas Bilga for the act that Miriam this woman did, so why punish the whole entire group? So Abaya says, does it make sense? I'm saying, Mishum Barti Karksinal of the day? Would you, you punish everybody? So Abaya says, yes. That yes, even though one person did something wrong, the entire group has to suffer, or, you know, suffer the consequence. Why? Because it says, like, because Abaya says, because it said, the Gemara says, like the saying that says, Shutu the Yunuka Bishuka Oidavo Oidimo. Shutuvukdimidu means what, what, what a child speaks in the marketplace, know that it comes either from his father or either from his mother. In other words, when you see a child talking and they're speaking a certain way, this is certainly true before children went to schools, and you say, why is a child talking this way? Why is it crass or talking refined? You can always say, oh, the reason why they're talking this way, this is what they're picking up from their parents. So Abaya saying is that Maybe she's the one that did something terrible, but 
she's just an expression of her, of her, of her environment, of her parents. So the Gemara says, okay, so they're punished, then, then only her parents should suffer the consequence. Abaya says, no, oil rosh, oil Woe is to the is to the wicked, and woe is to his or her neighbor. That means when you're in in a neighbor to someone that's not a good person, it's not only detrimental to the person himself, to the person that's not a good person, but it also affects the neighbor. And the other, by contrast, if you're Good for the for the tzaddik, for the righteous person, and good for their neighbor. That living next to a tzaddik actually receives benefit. Means you receive something from the tzaddik as well, from the righteous person. And then the Gemara says, "How do we know this?" Because it says in the first, "Imru tzaddik kitoiv Say to the tzaddik that it's good, because the fruit of their labor, they will eat. So it starts off with the singular. The fruit of the tzaddik represents the, 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 the effects of the tzaddik, of the tzaddik in this world. And then it says that the fruit of this, the fruit will be eaten by all, which means that being next to the to proximity, living next to the proximity of a tzaddik will have an effect on, on, the, uh, on those who live next to him. This is the way our version of the Gemara ends, which means with, a, with, with, a, with this verse, with this pasuk in Yeshaya. But Rashi seems to have a different version of this because Rashi finishes his commentary, doesn't bring down this Pasek, this verse, but he says, Mekan Amru, from here we learn from the fact that only one Miriam Bazbilga, one person sinned, but the entire group experienced the consequence of that. From here we learn this, Oyle Tzadik, Oyle Shechene. Woe is to the, to the wicked and woe is to the, those who live next to this person. Umemela, for this we know, Toiv Tzadik, Toiv Good for the tzaddik and good for those who live next to him. Because certainly something that's positive is much better than something that's negative. It's, it's certainly much better. So Rashi does not bring the verse, but he says that a, a positive virtue is much, is much stronger than a negative virtue. So why doesn't Rashi, in the version, the version that we have, why doesn't Rashi say that? What's the difference if we say that the proof, good for the tzaddik, good for the people that are around him, if we learn it from the verse, which it says that the tzaddik does, even the tzaddik, you say for the tzaddik is good, and therefore everyone can eat from, the, from his fruit, or we say that if it's true negatively, that woe for the wicked and woe for his, his neighbors, then certainly this is much more true, for, it would be beneficial for, for the tzaddik and beneficial for, the, for, for his neighbors. What's the difference? So first, the Rebbe is going to explain, the Sikha is going to explain what, what does it mean that what does it mean that the hooks or the, were, were closed and, and so were the, the windows. What are we talking about? So Rashi, so Rashi, the Rashi says like this. That the hooks means the hooks and the windows are as follows. This is all related to the shechita, the slaughter of the animals, the karbanas, the offerings. That when it says a chaloyna stuma, that the windows were closed, these were certain like little drawers that they were the they would put the knives for the shechita, for the for the slaughtering, and um, and by this group, by by this by this watch, a bilga. These, the, the, these little cabinets were closed, so they weren't able to put their knives away. That's one thing. With regards to tabas, what it says that there was these, these rings that were closed, what is this referring to? This is referring to, in the Beis Amikdash, in the, in the Beis Amikdash, there was a certain area where they would offer the animals, and there was a place that they would have these hooks that would hold the animal down, so they were able to, cre- able to do the shechita properly, the ritual slaughter, to be done in the most humane way, so it was, it, the animal was held down, and therefore it was able to be done. For Bilga, for this, this group, these, they did not have their, their own hooks, so they had to use other people's hooks, and they did not have a place to hold their own knives, so they had to use someone else's. That's what Rashi writes. The Rambam, however, 
writes that these hooks or these rings that that were closed does not refer to those rings. It actually refers to the rings that they used to, through that they used to, after the animal was slaughtered, they had to clean the animal. And those hooks that they used to clean the animal on, those were closed by Bilga and opened by everybody else. And Bilga had to use other people, the other Mishmar, the other, the other watches' hooks. The same thing also when it says that, um, that the, the, the windows were closed, this refers to the windows where there was little cabins that they were actually used to put their garments, the priests, the Kainim wore special garments, four begadim, four special garments, and they had to put them, put them away, so they used to put them in these little drawers, and that was closed. That they, the the Bilgas, this, this group, did not have their own, they had to use somebody else's. So what's the difference between these two commentaries? Between how we understand this the punishment of, of this act. So when we talk about Bilga, when we, we understand Rashi's opinion, which Rashi, both the idea of the, of the knives, that they weren't able to put away the knives, and the idea that they weren't able to do shechita correctly, do the slaughter correctly, and they had to use somebody else's, these are both issues that technically is a woman can actually do this. In other words, in the base of Migdash, there were certain services that had to be done. Certain services had to be done specifically by the Levi, and the Levi had to be from the tribe of Levi, and those who sang were the Meshoyrim, couldn't Meshoyrim, cannot exchange with the people that used to be the watchmen or used to close the doors. Everyone had a very specific job, and also with the Kainim himself, the priest himself. And generally, from a certain point forward, they all were, the Kohen was a male. However, with regards to the Shechita, with regards to the, the slaughterer of the animal, that was, that was allowed to be done, not only was allowed to be done by a woman, it was also allowed to be done by a czar, even 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 to begin with, the, the original, the, the principally, it's not only with the Yavid, that if a czar, an Israelite, someone that's not a Kohen, slaughtered, but even l'chatchila, even l'chatchila, according to the Rambam, the Ravid says, Hifri is but the, but the opinion of the Rambam is that it's, it's l'chatchila, that originally you're allowed to allow a, a, a k'sheir bazar. It's, it's, it's kosher with a czar, which is someone that's not a Kohen, and also, and also a woman can, 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 off, can slaughter. So Rashi is writing that the punishment was, is, was related to an issue that women technically can, can be doing. In other words, the, the, the rings were closed, the windows were closed, they couldn't, they couldn't keep their, their, their knives. The rings were closed that they weren't able to offer the offerings, slaughter the animals correctly, which means that that affected the women themselves. That was one level. The Rambam says that we're talking about the hefshet, and we're talking about the, the putting away the garments, that only belongs to the, to the koyim, to the male, not to the female. In other words, the, the punishment affects also th- also people that were not only, you know, in other words, <laughs> like this, the, the women issues, if, since a, it's a woman that did this thing, so you'll say that the punishment was against this woman, and therefore other women were affected by it because she was a woman, something like that. But here we're saying, according to the Rambam, not only was it affected, not only was it not only the punishment not affected only for women, but it was affected, it was a, and it was an area in the service of, the, of Kahuna and the Beis HaMiklash, and it was only for the Kohen, for the male. What's the depth of this? Okay, let's get to understand. What is the depth of this argument? Rashi's saying that Oyle Rosh Oyle Shechene, going to to a wicked person and woe unto its neighbor is only a superficial relationship, right? Like we were saying before, remember the laws of Bar Mitzvah. So Rashi's saying is that the effect of, of this Miriam Bas Bilga on her entire group only affected areas where it would affect her herself. So therefore, the punishment was in areas that affected her, that she would, have to, would not have her, her knife, and she would not have a place to, to offer, she would have to put it somewhere else. The Rambam, 
however, says that, um, that it's more than that. That the relationship between a person and his, and his, and, and, and his neighbors is something deeper. So it actually affects the entirety. So it's not only an external connection, no, there's an eternal connection. So therefore, it affects every aspect of the neighbor. And what does it mean it affects every aspect of the neighbor? Therefore, not only with regards to offerings, which was something that women were allowed to do, but also with regards to other issues, which women are not allowed to do. That's the effect. But this will actually explain the difference between why in Rashi's version he says, good for the righteous and good for his neighbor. Rashi says, because it's that's greater a good, a good attribute. Versus the Pasik, which says, what's the difference? When when you're saying that the pasuk the verse is like this, say for the tzaddik it is good, because the the fruit what they receive they will eat. Now, really it says it should have said his fruit they will eat, but it says their fruit, their fruit. What does that mean? that being close to a tzaddik, being in close proximity to the tzaddik, to the righteous person, being a shachan toif, to the tzaddik, is not only that you receive reward because of the tzaddik, that's malehu, not malehem, it's not only that it's, 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 it's you receive reward, but it becomes malehem yechelu, that they're eating because there's a transformation in their own selves, that when you're next to the tzaddik, the work of the tzaddik transforms the people that are next to him, that they receive benefit from their own work. So therefore Rashi doesn't actually bring the Pasik because Rashi doesn't hold from that idea because Rashi would say that, that's, that, doesn't, that transformation doesn't happen. The transformation only happens on, a more ex- on an external level, that you have the effects of it. So therefore Rashi says, Yeah. However, there's still another issue that needs to be dealt with. So why does Rashi say, Rashi says that there's an idea of Euler Rasha Euler Shechene, that's what the Gemara says, that's woe to the Rasha, to the wicked and woe to his neighbor. And then there's Toivo Tzadik Toivo Shechene, that good for the Tzadik, good for his neighbor. And Rashi says, it's Meruba the Toivo, that greater is the, is the positive over the negative. Why does Rashi have to say that it's greater? He can just say it's the same thing. So the Rebbe's going to say like this, that Rashi will also agree that there's a difference between being a neighbor, being a neighbor close to a Rasha or close to a tzaddik. And the difference is really, the difference is really about you, not about, the, about being the neighbor to, who you're neighbor to. Because with regards to negativity, Risha, something that's negative and a sin, there is the purity of who we are, every, of every person, the purity of they are, who they are. That's the chilakalakal, part of the divine life force. It's the purity of they are. And then there's the actions that they do. The actions that the Yid does is only an externality to who they truly are. It's what, you, what, what a person did, but it's not who they are. It's always, it's an appendage. It's something that's an external to, the, to their essence of who they are. So therefore, when it comes to Euler Rosh, Euler we say like this, woe unto the wicked person, woe unto the neighbor, and being close to someone that's a negative person will have an effect negatively on you. And then the effect would only be on an external level, which Rashi is learning, because the whole idea of negativity is external to you. 
Negativity is not an eternal thing. It's not who we are. It's something maybe that we've done or do, God forbid. But it's not who we are. And since it's not who we are, the effects of someone else's negativity on us could only be on a level of external. So that's what Rashi says, that greater is the midah toiva, the good, the good attribute over the negative attribute. Because the good midah, the good attribute, by when we talk about a tzaddik, is we're saying that generally the relationship between a person and a tzaddik next to them, since the whole idea of who we are in, a, in our essence, we're also a tzaddik, right? In the panemius, we're a tzaddik. In the internality, this is who we truly are, is that we're a tzaddik. So being next to a tzaddik not only affects us on an external level, but it allows us to reveal the internal level that we are already. So it's not only, not only because of the effect of the tzaddik on us, but the effect allows us, because the effect is not something on a pneumistic level, like, like we learned in the beginning of the whole sikha, that was the opinion of Rashi. But what the effect of the tzaddik does is to reveal something that is already present before, which is that we are already inherently good. We're already inherently whole. We're already complete and already inherently atzadik on some level. That's the toy v'shchene. The goodness that is revealed within the person himself being in, pro- in close proximity to the other person. Yeah. So now we can say that these two ideas... So there's, 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 in general, pulling back a bit a second, so there's one way that something affects something on an eternal level, one way that something affects on an ex- only on an external level. And even on the external level, which is according to Rashi, which is only external, whether it's in time, space, or in consciousness, with regards to consciousness, since it's a revelation of what you truly are, it reveals something who you truly are to begin with, which is the tzaddik. So in Avodis Adam, in in divine service, in a person's service to Hashem. We say oi, oi means a language of pain. Like literally, we say in Yiddish, oi. So it says oi latzadik, oi means a language of pain. So one level is the oi that it just breaks the negativity. One is, I'm sorry, one is the level of surmira. One is that it's it's the, the staying away from something that's negative. The other avoida, the toivot tzaddik, the good for the tzaddik, is the level of asetai, the doing positive. That there's a, a, a transformation from the oi to the toiv. A translation from a negative connection between two things and its transformation into something that's positive. Just to conclude, there ever has this one, one more sif that says like this. This has two more sif, but this let's say this last sif like this. That there is um, there's a magala mukis. The magala mukis says that um, Elul, the name of the month Elul, the Hebrew name. Which we call Elul, which is Alam Ababa, but this is a name that we call Kalisal calls this month. We call this month Elul, is an acronym for Euler Russia, Woe into the Russia, and woe into his Shachim. This is what the Megal writes. So the question is Elul is a Chedesh Rachma, Elul is a time of divine compassion, Elul is a time of Slichas, where there's a divine forgiveness, Elul is a time. When all these Yugimin Lizarachim and the Malachasada, all these things, these great phenomenal things of divine compassion come down to this world. So, what is El, what's, what is the idea of Euler Rosh Euler Shechene? What it means is that the Euler Rosh, that, um, that Euler Rosh Euler Shechene means that the, that the breaking the transformation of the tshuva that happens in the month of Elul transforms the month that's in close proximity to Elul, which is the month of Av. What does that mean? It means like this. So this is Zohar. The Zohar says 
that there's there's 12 months in the year and there brings up the Zohar very quickly but more about it because it's the way the Zohar is like this and the Megal actually speaks about the Zohar not in that place but in other places the Megal writes this by the birth of Yaakov and Esau, that these, there is the three months of the year, the six months of the winter, of the, the, the winter, the fall winter, then the spring summer, six and six. And there he says they correspond to the masculine and the feminine. And each beginning three, the first three belong to Yaakov. They're talking about the two twins. The first three belong to Yaakov, and the second three belong to, to Esau. So let's just talk about the, the spring and summer months. So Nisan, Ir, Sivan, are months of it seems the time they're going out of Egypt, the months of spheres of Omer, of counting every day the Omer, the month of Matan Torah. These are very spiritual high months. They belong to in the realm of Yaakov. Tamas of Elul, they belong to within the sphere of Esav, which is the opposite of Yaakov, the opposite of the holy. So Tamas of Elul, Tamas is like a very harsh month. Of is a very is a harsh month. And El technically is their harsh months. So Thomas of an El. However, in the Torah it says that Yaakov was holding on to Yodav that the Yaakov was holding on to the heel, the heel of Asav. Now Asav was born, and when they when he came out, he came out completely formed. Therefore, he was going to be called he was Asui, he was complete. So technically, his name should have been Asui. Asui means formed, complete, whole. Yet we call him Esav without a Yud. Yaakov is called Yaakov because he was holding on to the heel, which is an Ekev in Hebrew. He was holding on to the heel of Esav. So then Yaakov should have been called Ekev. Why is Yaakov called with a Yud and Esav was missing a Yud? Because in the months of the year, we mentioned before in the Sefer Yitzir, Sefer Yitzir also says that the 12 simple letters of the month of the, of the Aleph base correspond to the 12 months of the year. And Elul corresponds, so so simple letters means, let's say, Aleph is not a simple Aleph, Aleph Memshin are, are the mother letters. Bez, Gimel, and Dalad are double letters, because Bez can say, you can say it in a harsh pronunciation, in a soft pronunciation, Bez, a Vez, a Gimel, and a Jimel, like the Yemenites, or Dalad, and a Zalad, Dalad, like Marech Be'echad, with a Dalad, like a TH. And then Hey, Vav, Zionist, Nisan, Ir, Sivan. Ches, Tes, is Tamaz, Av. And Yud is El. So when it says that he was Oichaz, Yaakov was Oichaz, Akeva Shal which means Yaakov stole the Yud, which is the month of Elul. And, um, and, he, and, and therefore Yaakov stole the month of Elul, which means Elul became a Chodesh a month of of divine compassion. So Yaakov, Esav, instead of having Esav, which with a Yud, which would be Asui, Yaakov took that Yud, and now Yaakov, instead of Ekev, becomes Yaakov, with the Yud. This is what the Zoya and the Magal explains this, Baruchas. So like this. So, in other words, there was a transformation of the month of Elul, which is the Euler Russia, the transformation of the idea of the Russia, of something that was negative, This is what it, this is what the the Euler Russia was that it was a, a total transformation from something that was in the, the domain of Esav that now became a Chodesh Racham, a month of compassion. The Euler Shchene, what does it ever say? The means like this. It's in other words, that the month of Elul becomes so powerful, it transformed through Yaakov, that also half of Tammuz. Of, I'm sorry, half of Av, more than half of Av. From after Tisha B'Av already, there was a transformation from something that was originally part of the harshness of the time. Therefore, Tamas Av was a time of Ches and Tes, which is Chet, sin. The time of destruction, the time of, of, of the Churbanas, of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Already from after Tisha B'Av, there's already a transformation into something that's positive. That's the oil shechene, the transformation of the oil of the negativity into the shachan because Elul is a shachan, is a neighbor to of. It transforms all the day, it, trans, it transforms 19 days into the into of, backwards. 
And this is where it brings on the Gomer Nisano. And this is what it says, that a person that has a, that has a, a din, a judgment, should not do it a month of, El, a month of Av, but after Tisha B'Av, you can't do it. Because this is the transformation of the month of Elul. That Elul so again, in time, in the depth of time, because Elul was already transformed by Yaakov, because Elul is next to the month of Av, there becomes a transformation of of of, and not only is the transformation that it's no longer a negative element that breaks the negativity of it, but of the month of of, but it actually transforms it into a place of light. And this is the chiddush. It becomes asetev on a gilu oyer. That the tachlus of shvir is chiddush of the tachlus, the, the, the ultimate transformation of of is that it becomes now a time of menachem of. It becomes on a time of the of the consoler that the father is a consoler. That of itself is menachem, and nachem menachem ami. That it, it, there's a transformation from of instead of it seeing as something that's negative, again because the, the because it's a neighbor to the month of of El, which was already transformed to Yaakov. Now that permeates now the shchenas the, the the neighborly thing. Is not only superficial, but it actually causes a transformation in the thing that it was a neighbor into, like we said, within, within time, within space, within consciousness. The same thing also within within the, within the calendar, within the structure of time, it actually transforms of, and now of becomes also a source of chamav, source of of consoling, and that leads directly into the chodesh elul, which is the, the revealing of yigimim l'sarachemim, l'mayim l'shalshus, which is the revealing of the thirteen attributes of mercy, which is from atik and the highest face of Hashem, the face that has no, that has no eyelids, that has no, that has only one eye, only a goodness and positivity, and that brings and draws down a that everyone has is being inscribed and sealed for a good year of Rosh Hashanah, and everyone is inscribed nichtav v'nechtem la'alta b'sifin shel tzadikim gemurim, and everyone is inscribed and sealed, in immediately in the book of tzadikim gemurim, and may it be Hashem's will.